Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, well, we're finishing out the series one at a time, and uh, there's something that's interesting, uh, uh, like in social media circles, is a term that's been floating around. Is, uh, that it's a, I mean, it's obviously a term that's been around for a long, long time, but, but it's now become kind of mainstream, common language, especially in social media, is the word influencer. And so there are people who, um, who post uh, videos or content or ideas or things that they, they value, things that they, they build, things that they're, you know, whatever it might be, and, uh, and they just get this incredible following, and then they get labeled influencers. And this is, is happening very, very commonly. In fact, there are people now, because of that, there are people now that are very active in social media trying to become influencers. They, they're like doing everything they can to put their, as a way of essentially getting known, you know, and, and this is obviously number, it's, you know, it's counted by how many people follow them. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it, frankly. I'm not, I have mixed feelings about it. It's not that I'm against it or anything like that. It's just, it's hard for me to understand influence being that simple sometimes, right? But, um, but it does tell me something. It, it informs this idea that I've always felt is that all of us at some level want to be influencers. All of us at some level want to live lives of significance. Now, I don't, you know, you might be hearing like, well, no, I don't feel that way. I'm not, uh, you're being humble. But I think ultimately all of us, all of us deep down inside, we want our lives to count right? Like there's a date, a, a year in which we were born and a year in which we die and that dash in between. We want to make sure that that dash in between has some measure of significance, that we've left a legacy behind where people will say, man, I sure appreciate them. And we want, to, we want that to be the case for us, you know? So it's been my thesis though in this series that this happens one person at a time. This is how Jesus lived his life. He lived his life focusing in on the one. Like he could be surrounded by the crowd. You see this oftentimes in scripture where he's surrounded by a crowd and yet his focus goes down into that one person, a woman with an issue of blood who needs to be healed. Everybody's touching him, but she touches him and somehow or another he feels this virtue flowing from him and he's like, he has to talk to that person. He has to connect with that person. One person at a time. That was his focus. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling a bit with feeling purpose in life. Feeling some kind of motivation for what you're doing. Like your routine is you get up, you go to work, but work's not very motivating. Or you get up and you go to school, school's not that motivating. And so you kind of go through the motions and you end the day and you get home from, from, from work or you get home from school and you maybe spend a couple hours watching TV to go back to bed, to go to bed at night just to go back to school or back to work the next day. And it's just routine that you're in and it just doesn't feel like it's giving you purpose. It doesn't feel like it's giving you significance. You certainly, you certainly don't feel like you're influencing anybody. Maybe that's where you are or maybe... You're struggling a little bit with some discouragement. 
We live in a culture that tends to, the narrative in our culture is focus on you. Like we say it oftentimes, you should, we should pay attention to other people, but, but all of our advertising, everything around us is about me, me, me. And so we could spend a lot of energy and a lot of time in our lives basically trying to do something to make me happy. Whatever it might be. And so we go down those paths and we find, you know, we're so self-focused. We're just going down all these different paths and we get to the end of that path and we realize this is not satisfying. This is not fulfilling. This is not really giving me the significance I expected to get. And so you might be discouraged. And so I find that this one-at-a-time way of living can really impact all of that. Like if you're wondering if, if there's any meaning or purpose in your life with the stuff that you're doing or whether, you know, the things that you're pursuing are really going to fulfill or not, I just know that, you know, Jesus taught us to love people just as we have been loved. And I just know that if we are intentional about that, if we get up every day and we put in front of us the purposes to love people the way Jesus has loved us, and we intentionally navigate that. We go through all that. We have intentional interactions with people throughout the day. That that somehow or another translates into meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And you may not be an influencer on social media, but if you've loved somebody well during the day, you will have purpose and meaning. So I want to challenge you this morning, especially to be intentional because there are people that you need to interact with. They're at these intersections in life and you need to interact with them. God is calling you, I'm saying this out loud to everybody, God is calling you to have meaningful, purposeful, intentional interactions with people and point them towards Jesus. I'm convinced that there's people in your life that way. I'm convinced that there's people that you know and you know what they're going through, but maybe you've avoided, you know, really interacting with them. They're at this intersection in life, and you're just not sure what to do about it, but God is calling you to do something about it, to say something. There might be people that you don't know that well. You know them from a distance, and you know that they're going through struggles after first service, after, you know, speaking this message, after first service, somebody came up to you just crying and saying, I see somebody every single day. I don't really know her very well, but I see her every single day, and I found out that she struggled with cancer, and I just haven't said anything to her. And she walked out of here with this resolve, this commitment to actually go and say, I'm here, I'm present, I just want you to know that I, that I care. And so what are those interactions that I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe for some of you, you're driving through a neighborhood, there's a house that's been for sale for some, for some time, and suddenly you see a U-Haul trailer parked outside the front of it. And there's a car, and there's a car in the, in the driveway that has out-of-state plates. And you're like, oh, somebody's, somebody new is moving in to the neighborhood, right? And so for, you may not think a whole lot about that, but you need to understand that for the next month or two, that family is at an intersection of, of uncertainty and change. And just a gesture of hospitality on our part, going over and say, hey, I'm your neighbor. I just want you to know we're here. And if there's anything that we can do to serve you, if there's any way we can help, we're here and we're present. We want you to know that we're here. It says a whole lot about Jesus. It says a whole lot about the church when you do that. Or maybe you hear about an old classmate that's been diagnosed with cancer. You really haven't really interacted with this classmate in a long time. You really just follow them on social media and you don't know a whole lot about them. 
but you find out that they've been diagnosed with cancer and you want to say something, but you feel a little bit embarrassed because you haven't said anything. All these years that you've known them, you just haven't said anything. And so you're just thinking, should I, should I say anything? Should I, I mean, is it, is it rude for me now when they have cancer to actually say something? And you might feel a little bit embarrassed about that, but you need to understand something, that they are in an intersection of fear and suffering. And now, now is the time to actually speak into their life. Now is the time to be present. Now is the time to build a bridge and ask them, how can I pray for you? Or maybe you have a friend that um, just found out that she and her husband have separated. And apparently he got involved with someone else and you're a little bit reluctant to say anything. I mean, it's kind of awkward, right? When you find out that somebody's separated and like, you, do you bring it up? <laughs> like, do you meet them? At, you, you know, you're walking through Target and you see them. Hey, by the way, I heard you got separated. <laughs> do you do that? You know, uh, that's, it's just awkward, right? And so we navigate that. We think, well, should I say something? Should I not say something? But you need to understand something, that she is at, a, as, at, is at an intersection of loneliness and rejection, and she needs somebody to step into that space with her. And let her know that there is a Jesus who sees her, who cares, who loves her. And I think this is true even for irreligious people. Like there might be people you know that would not be here today. They don't go to church. And God is far from their thoughts, right? But I've discovered something about irreligious people that when they go through tragedy, pain, or suffering, or loss in their life, even when they're far away from God, they still welcome somebody coming along and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm here with you. Is there any way I could pray with you? I've never had anybody that like, doesn't attend church when I've said, can I pray with you? I've never had them say, no, don't pray for me. I go to the hospital often to meet people in the hospital, and some of the people I meet are not believers. And I say, hey, can I pray for you? We believe, I say things like, we believe that God heals. We believe that God brings peace in difficult circumstances. If you don't mind, can I pray for you? None of them have ever said, no, please don't pray for me. There's something about these intersections that are sacred places. And I want you to understand something, that Jesus, as a follower of Christ, Jesus invites you into them, not to avoid them, not to look at them from a distance, but to step into that. Jesus was a master at doing this. In John chapter three, he meets up with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He has some doubts. He didn't really believe everything that the other, his colleagues believed about Jesus, but he does have questions. He has doubts. And so he reaches out to Jesus and he has these questions and he's at this intersection of seeking and searching. So when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have some questions. I have some questions about the Bible. I have some questions about spirituality. I have some questions about what you believe. When they come to you like that, you need to not view this as a hostile act, as something that I have to defend the faith. But you need to view this as a person sincerely searching and seeking. And maybe you don't have the answers. Maybe you're not sure what to say, but if you step into that place, meet them there at that intersection. Jesus does this, and he meets Nicodemus at night. He had to do it at night because Nicodemus wouldn't do it, um, you know, during the day when everybody could see him. But he has this very personal, spiritual conversation with him. In John chapter 4, this is John 3, John 4, there's a story of this woman at the well. Jesus intentionally decides to go through Samaria 
<laughs> to meet this woman. And so he meets this woman. This woman is at this intersection of shame and dissatisfaction. She's been married a number of times. Now she's living with a guy who's not even her husband. She's tried all kinds of things. She's been thirsty for something deeper, something more. And Jesus meets her right there at that intersection. And he presents himself as the living water. You know people like this that are these intersections where they've tried everything. They've tried everything and it hasn't worked. And they find themselves in this place of desperation. In John 5, he meets a a lame man who's at at an intersection of hopelessness and, and helplessness. And Jesus reaches out and helps him. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. She's at this intersection of guilt and shame. And Jesus reaches out to her. He meets her with grace and truth. He meets a father whose daughter is on her deathbed. He meets some sisters whose brother have just, whose brother's just passed away, Lazarus. And they're at this intersection of grief and despair. And Jesus meets them there. And he introduces himself as, I am the resurrection and the life. Like he comes and he brings hope to them at an intersection in their life. I can't tell you the number of times I've been at intersections with people that I know. I've been sitting with them, ministering to them as they mourn the loss of a loved one. Sitting with them as they, you know, they tell me about their diagnosis they just got. Or crying with them as they're trying to figure out how to get over some devastating news in their life. Jesus invites us into those places. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is invite you into that as well. Amen? There's a parable we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 13. It's actually, we're going to look at two parables. There's a section of scripture where Jesus gives a a number of parables, and all these parables pack a punch, but there's these two parables that he's going to, we're going to look at today, that where he's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, right? And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's explaining, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven, of course, is a physical place, but it's also not just a physical place. It's also a place where God rules. Now, God rules everywhere, but, but any place where God has, has been identified, has been recognized, has been submitted to, has been surrendered to, that also is the kingdom of heaven. And so it could be a physical place, but it could also be your heart where the kingdom of heaven resides, right? And so Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven in these parables. In verse 44, chapter 13, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, Notice that, first of all, he identifies it as something of value, okay? He's not trying to explain where it is geographically. He could spend a lot of time saying, hey, it's in your heart, it's up in heaven, but that's not what he's trying to talk about, the value of the kingdom of heaven. It's a treasure, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought the field. And so here's what Jesus talks about. He's kind of talking about what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And he says, it's like this man who's, you know, finds a treasure out in the field. And then, like, I, I stop for a second. Like, who, who buries a treasure in a field? Like, I, like, we would probably put it in a bank, right? Or a deposit box. That's what we would do. But you have to understand, in those times, it was a little bit different. And so what they would do is they had treasure. If a guy had to leave for a long time 
maybe go away to another distant land, or if he had to go off to war, he would take his valuables, he would bury it in the ground, and then that way it was an inconspicuous place, only a place that he would know. Nobody else knew. He would bury it, and then he'd go off. Sometimes he would not return. Sometimes he would get killed in war, and the treasure would remain buried and lost, and nobody would know. And so... Presumably what's happening here is that there's this hired hand who's working this field, he's cultivating the field, he's digging, and he digs up a treasure. And he buries it again. And what he does, I mean, it's, it's interesting because he doesn't, he's not looking for it, he just kind of like stumbles across it, he didn't plan on it, he wasn't looking for it, it's just an ordinary day, an ordinary field, but he finds this extraordinary treasure. He buries it, and he goes back, and he starts selling everything he has. And people are like, what's wrong with Fred? It's a midlife crisis. What's going on with him? He's, he's getting rid of everything. <laughs> well, what's up with that, you know? And they might have all kinds of opinions about why he's doing this, but at the end of the day, Fred understands. He knows that he has found something of great value, and he has to exchange everything for it. He knows this is a good exchange. And I think there's some of you in this room that you fully understand what I'm talking about. Like you became followers of Jesus and your life changed. And when you started surrendering things to God, you stopped going to places you would normally go to. And uh, people around you were like, what is wrong with her? Why is she doing all this stuff? Why does she hang out? Why does she come around anymore? You know, what's going on? And they think you've lost it, but really what, what's happened is that you've discovered a treasure. You've discovered joy that's in Jesus. This treasure is hidden in a field and it's worth everything, and you've exchanged everything for it. The Bible calls this the riches of Christ. So then the second parable Jesus tells, <clears throat> I'm trying to get, get quickly through this. He says, the king, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now, this is a similar parable, but it's got a few nuanced differences, okay? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for, a cho for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Two similar stories, similar situation, a treasure and a pearl of great price, right? Now, the difference between these two is that, is that one person just happened to come upon it. It was accidental. It didn't happen on purpose. He wasn't looking for it. And the other person was actually searching for it. And I submit to you that, that that's probably where a lot of people find themselves. When they're in an intersection in their life, they either fell into it or they've been seeking for a long time. All right, they've stumbled upon it, something unplanned happened, life went sideways, and in the middle of that challenge, they stumbled upon this treasure. And I think that that's probably many of your stories. Like you used to say, I'll never, nah, I don't need church, I don't need God, I don't need to go to that church. And if I ever go to church, I'm definitely not going to that church, <laughs> but you're here now, <laughs> right? <laughs> What happened is you've, you've, something unexpected happened, you know, and something difficult, something bad, but it led to something beautiful. You found during one of your most challenging moments in life a treasure. For others, they've been seeking, they've been searching, they've been looking, and they're just not finding, and you know this, we know this, people who are looking for happiness, and they're going everywhere looking for it, they can't seem to find it. They're looking for meaning in life. They're looking for something deep, something profound, and just don't seem to find anything. And it's in those moments where you and I, as followers of Christ, can step in and say, hey, here is a treasure. I found it. You can find it too. 
right? Where you can actually be a blessing in their life. Oftentimes, what happens for that second category is that they tend to invite you into it. Like they're searching and they've run into so many dead ends that they finally come to somebody of faith and they say, hey, by the way, you know, what do you think about this? Or how do you feel about that? And you're invited into this, right? I remember about 10 years ago, a lady walked into our church. I'd never seen her before. Some people knew her. They knew that she was the general manager here at the Coral Ridge Mall. And, um, but I had never seen her before. And I, I think specifically that day I was preaching, I was talking about forgiveness. And uh, as, as I was talking about it, I could notice she was sitting towards the back in the middle back section and I could see just tears just flowing down her cheeks. She was just really moved. I know it was the presence of Christ in that place just moving her, but something was just it was really touching her, you know? And, and so I, after service, I, I walked up to her, and, you know, we, we had a moment of prayer with her, but then I walked up to her to, to talk to her a little bit, and, and uh, she, she expressed what was going on in her life. She was at this intersection of hopelessness and feeling abandoned and discarded because her husband had had an affair on her. And she was really wrestling through forgiveness. <clears throat> Over the course of some conversations and some Holy Spirit moments in her life, God began to move in her life, and before long, she began to experience healing, and, uh, and, and, and not just healing, but also restoration. Uh, in fact, she became involved here at Life Church to the extent that she became one of our board members here at Life Church, and, uh, and now, if you ever talk to Monica today, um, it was Monica Nadeau, now it's Monica Hiles. But if you ever talk to Monica today, she, can, she doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about where she came from and all the trouble and difficulty of that. What she does is she talks about the treasure that she has found in Christ. There's something about that. And it happens oftentimes when somebody finds themselves at an intersection in life. And so that's the challenge for us is that you and I as followers of Christ are prayerfully saying, God, use me to not only just be available, but to notice the intersections in which people find themselves in. I want to be an instrument. Now, you know, I stand up. We're all ministers of the gospel, by the way. I'm looking at all of you. We're all ministers of the gospel. I, I stand here and preach every Sunday. That's my job. You have a job, too, to be a minister of the gospel. We all are. If you're a follower of Christ today, God has called you to meet people at intersections in their life. I want to talk a little bit about four different roads that kind of come together to create these spiritual intersections. The first one is interest. Now, this road kind of goes both ways. Um, when somebody's asking kind of a spiritual question, when somebody's asking a spiritual question, you know that's an invitation for you to have a conversation with them. When they're asking a spiritual question or when they come to you with a little bit of vulnerability, Instead of sharing their heart, you know, and I realize us guys, we have a little bit of difficulty with that vulnerability part. Like uh, somebody comes to us and starts, a guy, another guy says, hey, man, I can't share with you some things going on in my life. And we're like, whoa, let's, uh, let's slow this one down, <laughs> you know. Uh, like we feel, I don't know what it is. We feel like, man, we, this has got to be so painful for him. He, it's not really good for him. So let's just, like he starts getting vulnerable and he has the courage to talk. And we're like, hey, let's not talk about this. You know, we don't need to go there. You know, we think we're protecting them, but really we're not protecting them. We need to actually lean into it. My wife, who's sitting here, has uh, taught me a lot of things. And one of the things she taught me is we're so much more powerful when we approach difficult conversations, not so much with answers, but with good questions. 
Like, just show interest. Like, tell me what's going on, man. Share your heart. And let them share their heart and just show interest in what's going on. There's something powerful about that intersection. What it does is it gives you permission to actually have further that conversation. So there's intersection of interest. I'm going to go through these quickly because of my time. But uh, second intersection, uh, intersection is intercession. And the question is, who are you praying for? I'm sure every one of us in this room, you're Christ follower, you have a prayer list of people that you're remembering, people that you're thinking about, people that you're praying for. Who are you praying for? It could be your kids, it could be your grandkids, it could be a, a close friend at work. Who are you praying for? Because I know you're praying, but here's the thing. There's something else we can do. Is that when God begins to answer those prayers, there's an intersection to be mindful, to be paying attention to the intersections in their life. When we see God beginning to answer that prayer that you're praying for them, right? Third row that I would say is interruptions. Pay attention to interruptions when someone's life kind of unexpectedly gets interrupted, gets difficult, challenges come. That's a perfect time for you to actually be there. Third one, or fourth one, is involvement. Involvement means that you do something, that you say something, like you get involved. Now, involvement can be inconvenient, it can be messy. Sometimes this is what we do. We see a problem, we see somebody in an intersection, and this is how we oftentimes do it. We say to ourselves, this is an internal dialogue. We say, I hope somebody does something about it. Like it's somebody else's problem to deal with. It's somebody else's issue to deal with that. But when you become aware of it, maybe the Lord is saying, no, I want you to step into that space. I want you to be the person who steps in and be the answer to their prayer. A few years ago, um, Luke Hoagland, member of here of the church, uh, came to me and said, hey, there's a guy at work that I want, I want us to pray for. And we spent some time out in the lobby praying for this guy named Cliff. Um, basically, Cliff had discovered that, that his son had a rare type of cancer in his brain, a brain cancer, and, and that, that genetically he also had it. And so, um, and so Luke got involved and began to pray for him and began to encourage him. In fact, I got his story here. Why don't you listen to Cliff himself? In August of 2014, um, my youngest son, at the uh, age of 18 months old, uh, fell uh, off the couch and hit his head. And at the time, we just thought, you know, he's, you know, he was didn't show too many signs of having a concussion, but he hit pretty hard. And we thought, well better error on the cautious side. We ruled out any sort of concussion, but we did find a, a massive brain tumor. He recovered very well uh, out, of, out of surgery, and then we had to decide on treatment options, because um, they determined at that time that it was a brain cancer. that I was di diagnosed with uh, is like one of the most deadly uh, or lethal cancers that anybody can be diagnosed with. 
Um, it's called glioblastoma multiform, GBM, and like the typical like life expectancy after diagnosis of that is five, five months. So at that point in time, I, I certainly did um, start to question more um, about you know why, why this would happen. And then uh, like before I really even had time to think about that too much, um, Luke asked me uh, if it was okay if I had, or if he had, uh, Pastor Tony come lay hands on me. Um, and like he didn't even ask me like to go to Life Church or anything. He said, you know, we can, we can go to lunch and you can meet Tony and, and just, just pray for you and pray for your family um, prior to you having uh, your surgery. I never had an experience quite like that. Um, and just the, the prayers and the love that they had spoke over me um, was one of the turning points, I think, in my relationship and just my, my, my thoughts uh, towards and with, uh, with Jesus. With you know, me having a full-time job, plus the, um, our second business, the gym, uh, and my wife having a full-time job, like, there, there was no time, or at least we didn't think we had time to do much of anything, let alone, you know, deepen our relationships with Jesus. And it was, it was in that moment, I believe, that uh, God kind of stopped me in my tracks and was like, now is the time for you to form that relationship. If Merrick hadn't fallen off the couch, uh, and us finding out that he had brain cancer. Like my second son um, might not be here, and if he was, he might have the same genetic mutation and he might be going down the same path with cancer as, as he did. Uh, and had that not happened, uh, I wouldn't have found out that I had brain cancer, even if it were to had either killed me then or kill me in the future. Like, I know where I stand with God, and um, I'm in a, in a much better spot than where I was had I not been diagnosed with can cancer, like had my son not been diagnosed with cancer. I don't know the exact name of the song, but there's another in the fire. And that song just sings to me every single time, and it reminds me that you know, whether it's the challenges through, you know, battling cancer or any life challenge um, that you might come by, um, just know that he is right there beside you and he will not let you um, go through that fire without him. Cliff was at a, at a serious intersection of his life, and a brother in Christ stepped in and got involved. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, Cliff's father passed away from cancer. But about a month ago, I met with Cliff 
and we were Nubo eating some lunch there at Nubo and in Cedar Rapids. And uh, I sat across from the table with Cliff, and he was like, my dad knows Jesus. I'm going to see him again. God has changed my life. In other words, I have found a treasure of great price. You and I have that treasure. It is unjust for us to keep it, to not meet people in their intersections of life. I suspect right now some of you know people that are struggling. We got a testimony this week from a lady in our church who herself went through some struggles and is now ministering to somebody else who's struggling. She's meeting that person at that intersection. God is calling us as followers of Christ to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to conclude our service with some worship. We have our prayer teams here, left and right. But here's what I want to end with. The last thing I want to say is I suspect that there might be some of you in this room right now that you find yourself at an intersection. There's some tragedy in your life. There's a diagnosis. There is heartache. Maybe you've given up on your kids. You just don't even know if they're ever going to be saved. Maybe you're a child wondering if your parents will ever be saved. Jesus wants to meet you there, right there where you're at. He doesn't ask you to walk in these doors and fix yourself first before he meets you. He meets you exactly where you are. And so I'm asking you this morning to not leave this place without meeting Jesus. Amen. Prayer teams are here left and right. I encourage you to step out during the song of worship. Just you could step out and pray with them. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. I thank you, Father, that you meet us exactly where we are. Right now, Father, there are individuals in this room that are struggling and you want to meet them. There are people that we know that are not in this room that you're calling us to meet them at their intersection. So God, we're just asking you that we would be that church, that those people We don't shy away. We're not afraid of having difficult conversations, stepping into messy situations, because you're calling us to be there and meet them at those intersections, Father. We thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. Let's worship.